remember that you've got three ways that people participate now. Right now in the room, right now at home as you're live streaming, and then later online. And all of our language tends to favor the people right now in the room. So we'll say, let's stand together. Well, people at home aren't standing. Let's stand together or find a posture that will allow us to fully participate in this moment. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe that the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Welcome back to our podcast. It's so good to have you back with us. I am Mackenzie Scott Lewis, and with me is the wonderful, the illustrious, the one and only, <laughs> Matt Matty Iceberg. <laughs> How you doing, my friend? Hey, what's up, Mackenzie? I am doing well. Good, man. Doing well. And Jason Moore is one of the experts in this area. Man, this topic is a great topic as we've been talking about. It's called hybrid worship. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about hybrid worship because clearly as we went through the pandemic, Mackenzie, we had a lot of experience with congregations (laughs) needing to learn about hybrid worship. And I mean, it was difficult for congregations. Don't get me wrong. It was a challenging time. It was very difficult, but it was rewarding to see congregations learning and growing in this area. How has this topic appeared for you, especially over maybe the last six months, Mackenzie, in your conversations with congregations? What have they been talking about in regards to online and hybrid worship? Yeah, the idea that you said it's been rewarding, and I'm reminded of the adage, certain rewards are not without certain pain. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm hearing is the pain of going through COVID and the hybrid experience, one congregations not even knowing what the word hybrid truly means for them Mm -hmm. because it'll mean certain things in certain contexts according to their perhaps faith tradition not even being online with any presence ever before Mm -hmm. and then launching the hybrid worship and the second thing is Matt what I hear a lot is okay this is really successful We have grown, we're reaching people, we have reconnected with members who maybe moved out of state. Mm -hmm. But man, I sure like to have people back in the seats. (laughs) And the pain of not having people in the seats versus online has caused some people to look at hybrid as a way to maybe get back to in person versus still continuing to do both and having great results in both arenas. Yeah, heard that same struggle with a lot of congregational leaders just saying that, you know, we're at about maybe 60% of what we were Mm pre-COVID, but in person, people who are in the building. Right. But at the same time, there may be quite a number who are attending online that were part of the congregation, are part of their congregation still, or even people who are new to the congregation. Yes. And so I think it's an interesting challenge, I think, for each congregation to kind of dial into how they want to use hybrid and what their comfort level is in that world. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting as time goes on. A lot of the cases that I have, a lot of the congregational conversations that I have 
are congregations wanting to do it better. And so they're talking about upgrading equipment or training volunteers or best practices on developing a better way of being engaging in the online space. And the good thing is that because we are now in 2023, there's some good stuff out there now. I mean, there's been good stuff in the world of education for a while, but now specifically for congregational life, there's some really good information out there. And one of the reasons why I'm so excited to have Jason on today because he really knows what he's talking about when it comes to this topic. And Matt, you bring up such a great point in terms of things tailored specifically for this, because the other part of the hybrid experience in terms of worship is this level of excitement of something new. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of congregations who are embracing this and and it's causing new ministries to blossom within their congregation. It's causing even some young people to get involved in ways that they haven't, young adults to get involved and even kids in grade school mm-hmm. involved into the worship experience and things of this nature. So sometimes the pain can be, oh man, this is welcoming because there is a learning curve attached to it and it's something new and it's worth it, mm-hmm. right? It is really worth it. And so I'm excited about Jason's expertise in this matter as well. Yeah, sure. All right, well, we are so excited to have with us Jason Moore of Midnight Oil Productions. He has been in congregational life and media for quite a long time. He actually lives in my old hometown of Tip City, Ohio. Mm. If anybody knows where Tip City is, just north of Dayton. So we have that connection. And he also was a part of a large congregation out there helping with their media ministry in early days of it. But Jason is just intensely practical, tells a lot of wonderful stories about how things are being used well in the congregational space. So I encourage you as you listen to this interview, really listen and absorb some of the positive stories and let it spark your imagination about how you might be able to think about hybrid or using online in your congregational space. So we will go ahead and move on to our conversation with Jason Moore. everybody. Welcome back. And we are here with Jason Moore of Midnight Oil Productions. I've had the pleasure of knowing Jason for, gosh, Jason, what, we've six, seven years now? It's been a while. I think that's about right. Yeah, something like that. He was in town for a brick and mortar event back when we were doing such things in Indiana. What was that (laughs) uh, again? You say brick and mortar? What what is that? Yeah. People actually used to get together in person in the same physical space (sighs) to do education. I had to drive in rather than Zoom in. It was incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Jason has been in congregational life for a good period of time and knows a lot about the way technology interacts with congregational life, kind of starting out with the use of media in congregations, but now in this digital age, he's definitely involved in that as well, written articles. And one book is already written, Jason, and then you've got another one coming out. Is that correct? Well, I mean, I've written 12 books, but I have a new one coming out. And the one that is prior to the one I'm working on right now, which actually... The Center for Congregations has a little bit of a hand in. It wouldn't have happened without you all. It's called Both And Maximizing Hybrid Worship for In-Person and Online Engagement. And so, yeah, lots of books and continuing to write more. Yeah, yeah. my apologies. I didn't mean to minimize your prior catalog. I was thinking in my head just specifically about the Both And series. (laughs) Ah, well, there you go. Yeah, and just real quick. You know, I had these series of trainings that I did that Center for Congregations hosted, Mm -hmm. and you hosted it, and we had a conversation in the fall of 2020, I believe it was, and you had asked me how things were going with the other training I had done called 
telling the old story in a new time. And I said, you know, I've got so much stuff in there. Now I'm concerned about what happens when we come back and shared a few ideas I had with you about how do we do worship in a hybrid way. And I said, I just, we got to figure out how to do this in a both and way. And Matt, I recall you saying, I would love to have you do two seminars on that both and idea. Uh, can we book them for November? And of course, I'm like, uh, sure. And then I had to figure <laughs> out what am I actually going to talk about. But that became a whole new <laughs> seminar that I've done hundreds of times now and it became a book last February, February of 22. And as of this week, it was number 20 on all books on preaching on Amazon. So it's been really well received. Oh, wow. Outstanding. Congratulations on that. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Incredible God thing. I don't even feel like it's real. <laughs> but you would like it on payday. Uh, yeah. When the royalty check comes in, I feel like I need to drive to Indiana and take you both to dinner. <laughs> Well, we're so glad that you took time to be with us today, Jason. And I know that you do a ton of trainings. You interface with a ton of congregations, both just on a single congregation level and also just, you know, groups in room. What are some of the dynamics that congregations are facing at this point? So we've moved from pandemic to endemic, and we're recording this in March of 23. So we're getting back to some semblance of normal but I think people are still really struggling, really wrestling with what it means to be a congregation, to have worship with all of the new tools that have been introduced. So what are some of the key things that you're seeing in conversations with congregational leaders? Well, it's interesting because I see two or three things playing out right now. There are some who want to return to Egypt. They made it all the way into the promised land. They took a few steps. And I think they're a little uncomfortable with their surroundings because they don't know it as well as they knew the captivity of the past. And so some want to retreat to that captivity and say, let's go back to 2019 and the way we did things. And so they're abandoning their hybrid ministry. Some folks are saying, you know, most of our people are back, so I don't know if we need to do this anymore. Then I've got other congregations that I'm working with that really have recognized this as what I call a great commission moment. It's a great commission opportunity where we can reach more people than ever before. And then I've got folks that, they aren't really embracing it. It's sort of this remnant of the Band-Aid that it has been that we haven't pulled off yet. So we have really retreated from giving it a lot of attention, but we're still doing it. So in all three of those groups, you know, I'm trying to convince group number one to iterate forwards, not revert backwards, and to think about how do we really see this as a new wineskin not to change our core values, but the way we express them has to look different in this world that we're in. For the folks that are saying we don't need to do this anymore, I'm trying to help them recognize that this is an opportunity for enhanced ministry. And really, it's this great opportunity to reach people who might not physically ever come into our space. In fact, a lot of congregations are telling me that they've had more in-person visitors since they began doing hybrid ministry than they had prior to the pandemic because people get to check us out online, decide if they like what we have to offer, and then are coming. In fact, some pastors have lamented that I look out at my congregation and I see more unfamiliar faces than I see recognizable faces because the people in my congregation who prior to the pandemic didn't want us to be online are now worshiping from home online. And then I've got all these new people that have migrated to the building. So I see a bunch of unfamiliar faces and I think, where are all my people? And then I guess the last group are the people that I'm working pretty regularly with. I lead monthly cohort meetings. In fact, I led two of them today before our conversation where I have up to 10 churches 
in a six-month process where I'm really trying to help them think about every aspect of hybrid ministry from how do we create an intimate experience of worship for people both in the room and online to how do we build a relational or discipleship pathway for those who might worship with us first online and migrate either to the building or just deeper in relationship with us. And so I know that's a long answer, but those are the kind of responses I'm seeing. Let's give up on this completely. Let's give it a little bit of attention, but not really do a whole lot with it. Or let's really embrace this and lean into this moment. Yeah, Jason, in that vein, we know that in the United States and across the world, for that matter, that there is a great digital divide as it relates to different ethnic groups. And I would add rural versus urban and things of this nature. And so in your experience, you talked about creating these relational pathways and Mm -hmm. in this hybrid society that we're in when it comes to congregational life. What have you seen with regards to that digital divide or churches of color more involved or less involved? Sure. Yeah. Latinx churches to rural churches, urban churches. Yeah. One of the really interesting things about what's happened in my world since the pandemic began is that I really shifted my focus from helping churches plan worship in a creative way. I mean, I used to do a seminar called Creative Worship that was really all about how do we create worship that lasts beyond Sunday to, and it really just sort of happened upon this. I mean, God just threw it in my lap. And when the world shut down, everybody said, you know some stuff about technology. Will you help us navigate this landscape we're in? And so I actually have had, since the pandemic began, about six or seven United Methodist annual conferences hire me to help them with post-pandemic strategy. So for those who are not familiar, an annual conference is sort of a region of churches within the United Methodist Church. And then it's very strange because they also have something called annual conference that is an event that happens annually, but they also call the region an annual conference. It's a funny thing. But anyway, in working with seven different conferences, I work with all sorts of churches, many rural churches, many African-American churches, inner city churches, you know. So I really have seen all sorts of different congregations living into this space. And I'll be honest with you, it's been wild to see how even rural congregations have leaned into this idea of hybrid. Now, there's some struggles that are present Sure, that maybe a, your typical, you know, millennial, Gen X, Gen Z, Gen Y, you know, church wouldn't have because they understand technology. But a couple things that I would just share. One is that I write about in the book, this idea of creating what I call a geek squad. Now, you know, Best Buy has the rights to that. But I have one congregation that I worked with, the pastor was telling me that I serve a mostly elderly congregation and mostly retirement age folks are in my church. And so he said, when the pandemic began and we had to take worship online, I had to figure out how am I going to get all these folks to worship because they didn't know how to use Zoom or any of those things. So he said, I put out word to the whole congregation, who amongst you feels like you know technology well enough to get online? And he said, I had three people hmm. say, that's me, out of my entire congregation. Now, I don't know the size of his congregation, but I'm guessing they were you know, in the hundreds or maybe a hundred, I don't know, not a huge congregation. But anyway, he gathered those three people and himself and he said, come to the church We got to figure out how we're going to get people online. So they did a little brainstorming and they came up with the four or five things you need to do to get on a Zoom call. They made up these cards. They had them laminated. 
they created a sign-up list. And my guess is they had to make that sign-up list paper because they probably didn't even know how to you know, do it online or whatever. And they went out and they visited all of these congregants and shared those laminated cards and they taught people how to get online. And that pastor told me, he said, my congregation said they had never felt so cared for in all of the time that they have been a church than they were during this pandemic. And I'll tell you that in all of my work, and there was a period of time where I was doing 18 cohort calls a month. So I was leading hundreds of church leaders. I have been surprised at how much our retirement age, our elderly congregation has really appreciated hybrid worship because it means that when the weather's bad, they don't have to drive. When they're homebound, when it's dark out in the morning and it's too dark to see, or when you know church goes late or whatever, I've heard this plea from some of the elderly folks that please don't stop this. This has been so important to me. And so I see that. The other thing I see, and this is going to be number two, I have worked with some African-American congregations who have absolutely just made hybrid worship sing in a way that I've not seen my Caucasian brothers and sisters really lean into. And that is the idea, really, that worship is more of a dialogue than a monologue. And our African-American churches really get that. And so when the pastor preaches, the people are active. The call and response, you know, you so go. the pastor's preaching. Go. Yeah. And and so the pastor is preaching and the people are actively responding. So my favorite church to talk about is a church in Columbia, South Carolina. My friend, Pastor George Ashford, leads a congregation that pre-pandemic was about 600 in attendance in person. And they were a church start. So this is, you know, a congregation that was built up from basically from nothing. And... When the pandemic hit, George said to me, I had to figure out how I'm going to help my congregation worship. And the way they worship is they're active. And in the beginning, he said, in the African-American community, and I don't know, maybe you've experienced this, McKenzie, in your own setting. He said, my people were hesitant to get vaccinated because we have a kind of a negative history in the African-American community of letting people shoot experimental drugs into our arms that weren't safe. So he said, most of my people did not want to get vaccinated, but they did want to worship. So I said, in the early days, I had about 20% of my people in the room and 80% online. So what they did was they set up what they called their online ambassador team. And so they have these three high top tables. At those tables sit three volunteers who have computers or laptops or tablet devices, and they engage the people online. So when people come into the chat, they chat with them. They, mm-hmm. uh, they welcome every person by name. But this is what I love. They call it the amen section. It's kind of their, in quotes, name of it. And when somebody types in, preach it, Brother Ashford, someone will actually yell out from one of those tables, preach it, Brother Ashford. So they're actually giving, (laughs) it's pretty cool. They actually are giving voice to the congregation that is not physically gathered. And that means that if I'm worshiping at home and I type a comment in and I hear it yelled out on my behalf, I feel like a participant. I'm not just watching worship. I am worshiping online. So that's one thing. Another thing they did is they have this big whiteboard behind them and they wrote the number of worshipers on that whiteboard in real time. So when I was there with them in August of 21, the first time I went to visit them, they started out with 20 something. They erased it, became 50, became 80, became, went all the way up into 130s. That's 130 households, not 130 people. And the people in the room could look over at that board and see that it's not just us here in the room. It's not the 20% of us physically gathered. But look, there are 130 households 
worshiping. And when you start to add those numbers up, you see that everybody's there. And it also gave Pastor George the opportunity to look out at that board and see, I'm not just preaching to the 20% I can see in the room. I am preaching to the whole congregation. And then another thing they did that I loved is that he will look at the chat sometimes while he's preaching and he'll see the comments people are making. And I can't show you this clip right now, but a clip I love to show in my training is that a woman in his congregation shared in the chat something she was going through, that her back had been hurting and she couldn't be there. And he has this moment in the sermon where he says, Sister Sarah, when you came in today, he wasn't talking about in the room, he was talking about in the chat. When you came in today, you talked about, you know, and he began to preach for a moment and the congregation rises up to their feet and they're clapping throughout this moment as he's preaching to Sister Sarah, who's not in the room. And in that moment, I say, it's not just how that enhanced the experience for Sarah. Because I'm sure she's at home like, wow, Pastor Ashford is aware of my presence right now. But that room celebrated Sarah's presence in that room, even though she wasn't physically there. And to me, that's that dialogue of call and response. And like, we are the church. We're gathered in different places. Some of our congregation is here in this physical space, and some of our congregation is gathered in different homes all over our area. And so that's where I think the African-American church could lead those of us in the Anglo church in the way of recognizing the value of call and response. So Pastor Ashford said to me, and I think this is actually a quote from Kerry Newhoff, but he said, I now think of us as an online church with an in-person option, which I thought, mm-hmm. wow, that's a, that's a whole different way of saying it. But, and I really believe that authenticity is more important than being slick or perfect. Anybody that cares that's to right. involve their online congregation can create those kind of moments. Yeah, that's very transformative. Appreciate you telling that story because it is given voices of the ability to be seen and heard and valued at the same time. And that digital space can create that in ways, sometimes the physical space. You talk about the group that wants to return to Egypt and what's familiar and comfortable. And a newsflash is that it seems that as we go into our immediate future, the digital space will be even more great in a lot of ways. So outstanding stories. And in particular, the rule, I did read something of a research, I think it came from Apple that said that one of the highest age band of people using their technology is the seniors Mm -hmm. and wanting to stay connected to their grandkids and so forth and so on. And so to hear that some of those rural congregations are getting a team together and going out and, and teaching people how to get online and be present is another great example of how much our times have changed. Well, and one other really quick story here. I think that even a church that doesn't have internet in the building can do hybrid ministry. And people always say, what? How's that possible? And I write about this in the book, but there's a church, I always say, the name of the church will tell you everything you need to know about them. They're called Farmersville United Methodist Church. They're here in Ohio, not far from where I live. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're out in the cornfield. Right. You know, they don't have fast technology. They don't have a huge congregation. They don't have lots and lots of great tools, technology. But here's what they do. At 9 a.m., they offer their service live for people in the room, and they have cameras that are recording while it's happening. And they remember the cameras are there. So they talk to people as if they were there, even though they aren't physically there. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as the service is over at 9.45 or 10 o'clock or whatever, they immediately take the sermon, a song, I think, or two, and they quickly, very rough, just edit, take a couple pieces out, put it in this little edit. I think they have to drive into the city, 
and then they upload it. And by 11 a.m., their online worship is available. So you can either come in person at nine or you can worship online at 11. And so it means that even a church that doesn't have fancy technology or a big mm-hmm. congregation or whatever, internet in the building can still do hybrid. And a lot of people are now worshiping on delay anyway or on demand anyway. And so I really believe that Absolutely. any church that wants to can do this. It's possible for anyone. Yeah, there was one congregation I heard of. This was like right at the beginning of the pandemic before they had really implemented any tech. But I think the pastor wrote up a transcript of his sermon. So they would just make photocopies and mail them out to anybody who didn't come. And yep. so you know, <laughs> it's a, what we would consider by our standards today is a very low tech option, but it's a way of making sure that there's involvement and engagement. And I just love the creativity, Jason, that you're describing. That's something that we've also seen at the center working with congregations. And I think for those congregations that are in that first boat that you were talking about or that first camp, it's a matter of learning what you can do because everybody can do something, mm-hmm. right? There's a minimal level. And I think when people might get intimidated when they think about the, you know, I mean, Craig Groeschel has been doing this for decades, right? Yeah. And that might be their image of what online congregational life looks like, but realizing that there are small things that you can do and it's the connectivity that's important. It's the relational connection that's important. Absolutely. I really appreciate those stories. What are some of the ways that you see congregations are developing community by using digital space and whether that's community in the digital space or digital community that supplements the physical community? Um, Well, I've seen all kinds of really interesting things. Uh, One of my favorite churches to talk about is a church called the Chapel Online, and it's a pastor out of North Georgia, and they're doing a digital first option. So actually digital only because they don't meet physically. They have this online experience of worship. So one of the things that they do is that every Sunday they have a worship experience that I think they call the experience, if I recall correctly. And then throughout the week, they have all these other opportunities for people to worship. So like on Facebook at one o'clock, they do a scripture reading and teaching that they advertise during their worship on Sunday, but some people will come live and some people will experience it asynchronously. So they're taking them deeper into scripture at that time. So this Bible study, then they have these prayer groups that they have that are again, asynchronously meeting on Facebook and they use WhatsApp because they have a lot of international folks that participate in this church. So WhatsApp is low bandwidth and there's encryption and things that lets folks participate. And then they have a subscription to Right Now Media where people can do like Bible study and going deeper in their personal faith development. And there are ways that they do FaceTime counseling appointments with the pastor and things like that. So they've created a discipleship pathway, really, that is you, you know, level one is that you're just watching our worship, but then you can go deeper into our faith community. There's another pastor that I'm working with down in Baton Rouge, and they're doing something really cool where basically they meet only once a month for worship in person, and then they do everything else through a podcast where they record these questions and sermons, and they have something they call Home Sheet, where a group of people, a home church, basically will gather, listen to the podcast together, and do some interactive stuff. And I think some people can participate in this online as well. And so it's just, it's almost like a discipleship first church plant, like, And they sort of happened upon this because COVID showed up. Like they were going to do your typical church start and it was going to be weekly worship and all that. And because the pandemic happened, they started meeting once a month. And they told me that they're actually growing 
more in their home groups than they are in their monthly gathering. So they got more people coming to their individual Bible studies where they are doing podcasts and but it's all very coordinated and very just very well done thinking about how all the pieces connect. And so I have an, another friend that's doing a meta church experience. So on Monday nights, they meet via Oculus headsets and they have people from all over and they've created this virtual space where people come together. And for, I haven't gotten to attend yet, but there is apparently a lot of really wonderful transformational stuff where people who in the real world might never feel comfortable walking into a church or not feel comfortable in their own skin can have an avatar and be there and get to participate. And so there's all kinds of interesting things that are happening right now. And I think COVID kind of pushed us in this direction that we might not have gone on our own. Yeah, that's outstanding. An avatar for Jesus. That, that is pretty good. I like that. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, is we've been putting avatars on Jesus for a long time. We all like to- Come you know, on now. We create Jesus in our own likeness. I mean, how often does Jesus look just like Kenny Loggins? Uh, you know, but but uh, <laughs> we tend to put our own faces on him. So might as well do an avatar too, right? And that made me feel good, Jason. That was a joke specifically for Xers, man. That was <laughs> There you go. That was perfect. Well, it is funny. One time I was showing my mom some graphics. I don't know why I was showing her these. And my mom is not super socially plugged in. You know, she's not on she's not on the cutting edge. And I actually had a picture of Kenny Loggins on my screen. She goes, oh, it's Jesus. I said, no, mom, that's Kenny Loggins. <laughs> Highway to the danger zone there. Perfect. Uh, Jason, I've had pastors contact us here at the center and they want to tip their toe into the digital world and particularly as it relates to hybrid they've known enough they maybe have attended your workshops on demand here at the center and so forth and they want to do the hybrid thing and and one particular pastor said I'm a little concerned because when we get on in the chat that there may be a hostile person who begins to say things in the chat that causes a disruption you have any tips that you may give congregations on how to handle people? Because let's face it, in our world today, it's if I can catch you doing something wrong or saying something out of step, then I'm going to call you out and cancel you out and all this other stuff. And so any tips that you would give congregations on how to manage the chat and manage sometimes hostile comments? Sure. Well, first and foremost, I think it's important to have a chat host. So actually having someone that is monitoring it. So it's not just a, if somebody shows up kind of thing, but the same way that we position people at the front door to shake hands when folks walk into our congregation's worship space, we want to have somebody that's kind of watching the chat and it's just got hospitality. Most of those tools have a way to boot somebody if they are causing trouble. I do think that it's best as you hear on the internet sometimes, not to feed the trolls because oftentimes if somebody starts making comments and you're trying to argue your point of view or whatever, you just give more fodder and it just gets out of hand and it's crazy. So if it's minor, I would say ignore it and not to let them bait you into a, it escalating into something crazy. But then again, there are ways that you can boot people from those conversations or at the very least, you know, thank you for your perspective or just have some ways of acknowledging but dismissing their conversation so that it doesn't get out of hand because it certainly can if you feed it. 
unfortunately, there are people that just, that's what they like to do. I've even been in in person worship before where that's happened, where somebody gets up and, you know, I was actually in Indiana one time doing a consultation with a church and a homeless man walked in and began shouting at the pastor from the back of the room. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we had to tend to him and care for him and, you know, take him out in that moment. But I would say that if you don't have somebody at the ready who's watching, then you really are in trouble because then you got to figure out, first of all, who's handling this and how are we handling it? And if you have somebody that's ready to go, I would also recommend that you have a plan in place that you don't try and deal with it in the spot, but that you would assign that person and say, now, listen, here's what our policy is on when somebody begins to make trouble. So you know what those steps are ahead of time rather than having to react in the moment. It's good stuff. Thanks. Thanks for that, Jason. So Jason, as we come towards the end of our time here, I got one more question for you. So for congregations that maybe haven't taken the step or they're, they're using online, but haven't necessarily thought through why they want to use online or how they want to use online, what are just maybe one or two very practical questions they can ask themselves to get them moving along that spectrum to where the digital dynamic is useful and helpful for what they're trying to do? Yeah. Well, again, I I will say what I said a moment ago. Authenticity is more important than being slick. So Mm -hmm. I have seen small congregations in the middle of nowhere quadruple their attendance by just using a smartphone to broadcast what they're doing. But there are a few different tips that I would offer to people who are just getting started or really trying to level up. The first one is to be intentional about creating an intimate experience for everyone, not just the people in the room. And the way that you do that is that you have to get the camera closer. You can't just put a camera in the back of the room and go about business the way you always have. Because if you're a speck on a screen, I don't feel any emotional connection to you. And oftentimes, if we just take a smartphone, we put it in the back of the room, and we're just using the onboard microphone, you can't hear anything, you can't really see anything, so you don't feel any connection. And what I've seen is that people will migrate to your building if they experience something in your worship that is meaningful and draws them in. So get the camera closer. Another part of that is making eye contact with the camera sometimes. Not all the time. But you would never not look at the people that sit in your balcony during your in-person worship. Like if you're preaching, you look at the people over on the left and on the right, and if you have a balcony, you wouldn't not ever look up at them. Well, your camera, the camera that you have, whether that's a phone or a DSLR or, you know, a fancy HD camera somewhere on a boom, you know, you've got to make eye contact and talk to those people as well. So a couple of things that I regularly recommend is one to put a camera icon in your notes when you're preaching. Look down at your notes and see that camera icon and that's going to remind you to occasionally look up and look at your congregation who is worshiping with you online. And the second thing I encourage people to do is maybe go out and buy a small dry erase board like you'd put a grocery list on or something and write down the number of people that have worshiped with you online from Sunday to Saturday. And that number, it might be, you know, let's say you had 50 households that worshiped with you online. You're now going to see that camera not as a camera, but as 50 households. And you're going to be more likely to look at that camera than you would if you just thought of it as a camera in the back of the room. Second thing that I would suggest is assigning an online advocate. Who is somebody that worships with you online all the time that could help you hone the what you're doing in worship to include them? I just did a consultation with a church last week that had a woman 
I do these secret worshiper consultations where I watch their worship with them in real time, and then I just give them feedback on what they're doing and lots of affirmation, but also helping to identify opportunities. And on the call was a member of their congregation, a woman named Rhonda, who was receiving chemotherapy treatments and said, I can't be in the physical space because of my immune system is not in the place where I can be around other people. So I have to worship from home. And so it was just so interesting because I would share some feedback about something and Rhonda would kind of pop up and say, that's exactly what I've experienced. Like sometimes I can't hear what they're saying or I can't see this or I can't. And I said, you all need to regularly be thinking about Rhonda and inviting Rhonda into the conversation to say, what could we do better? So assign an online advocate. Third thing I would encourage congregations to do is just to continue to iterate. We've got to keep trying new things. And Carrie Newhoff, the author and blogger, talked about how so many churches will go right back to the past the moment they go back into their buildings. And some of us are trying to revert backwards again. So a couple of things I recommend for congregations to iterate forwards is number one, sit down together as a team and watch your worship sometime. You're so involved in the development, the deployment of that worship that you rarely ever get to actually experience it. You'll see things by watching your worship together that you don't even know are happening. And it's important to watch somebody else's worship that you don't know anybody, maybe even outside your faith tradition, because there are rituals and rites and people that you don't know who they are or what they do. And you can't see it in yourself, but you can see it in them. I have no idea what we're doing right now, what they're doing. I don't understand that thing. Or I don't, who are those? Who's that person? And who's that person? We don't introduce ourselves. We don't explain our rites and rituals. Last two I'll give you is number four, engage the online community. And so use the chat if you're not using the chat. One of the phrases that I would love to get every church or every congregation to really grasp onto is, or put it in the chat. Because we say things like, raise your hand if, or put it in the chat, or yell out with me, or put it in the chat, or, you know, remember that you've got three ways that people participate now. Right now in the room, right now at home as you're live streaming, and then later online. And all of our language tends to favor the people right now in the room. So we'll say, let's stand together. Well, people at home aren't standing. Let's stand together or find a posture that will allow us to fully participate in this moment. So think about that. And then just to continue to cast vision, because it's very easy for our congregations to think this was a Band-Aid to get us through the pandemic. We've got to help them continue to see the value of what we're doing. And without a vision, the people will perish. And so our hybrid will perish if we don't continue to cast vision and help people see the value in it. That is outstanding. Yeah, that's good stuff. Very practical. Thanks very much, Jason. Yeah, that's one of the things I was going to mention is that those of you listening to this, please check out Jason's work. It is intensely practical. This is not 30,000 foot stuff that you can't implement. Jason has a way of taking concepts and ideas that are high level, but giving you specific steps to be able to implement those kinds of things in your own congregational environment. So I'd encourage you to check those things out. The most recent event that he did for us, both in hospitality, if you want to email podcast at centerforcongregations.org, we'd be happy to send you the recording of that podcast. And then Jason, where can folks find you and your work uh, in the digital space? 
I'm at midnightoilproductions.com. You can find me at facebook.com forward slash midnightoilproductions. I'm on Instagram at midnightoilproductions. And I don't really tweet much, but midnightoilprod, I think, is my Twitter handle. And if they want to check out the book, it's both and maximizing hybrid worship experiences for in-person and online engagement. You can find it on Amazon. And Invite Resources is my publisher. They would love for you to buy it there, too. So I know, Matt, we were talking about maybe even doing an event in the fall where we would do a hybrid training in a hybrid way. So, yeah, we're going to be looking at in 23, fall of 23, for the Center for Congregations hosting its first hybrid event in order to talk about hybrid, not only to talk about how to do it, but also hopefully to demonstrate how to do it. So we'll be working with Jason to develop that. And we're very excited about that. Are we teaching people how to fish? Wow. Imagine that. (laughs) We could do that. There you go. At midnight. Get at midnight. There you go. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) I don't know if anyone will show up for that, but. (laughs) Cool. Well, Jason, thank you so much for your time. Looking forward to chatting with you about our hybrid event coming up in the fall. And anybody who wants to reach out to you, we'll make sure to put your social media information in the show notes and so they can reach out. So thanks again, Jason. All right. Well, thank you for the invitation. Always appreciate the work of the Center for Congregations and our ongoing relationship. So thank you so much for the conversation today. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Well, welcome back, everybody. Wow, what a conversation with Jason. Matt, I don't know about you, but I just walked away feeling like there are some great practical things that congregations can do right away mm-hmm. and not just to do it, but to do it with a type of quality that the congregant can really relate to. Mm-hmm. His expertise is is phenomenal. So yeah. shout out to you, Jason. Yeah, we really appreciate it. We've had him in a number of times over the last number of years, and he's really good about all kinds of aspects related to congregational life. He does what they call, you know, secret worshiping or like kind of a secret shopper mm-hmm. kind of thing where he goes in and talks about what it's like to be a first time visitor. And he's kind of transitioned that into the digital space as well. But one of the things that I really appreciated about what he had to say is his focus is so much on making sure there's an understanding that the people in the seats, and the people online are all part of the same community. Mm-hmm. And it's how do you then make them feel that? And sure. that seems to be kind of a thematic piece to that. Were there elements of the belonging or the community that stood out to you? Yeah, absolutely. The one part that really like, hit me between the eyes because of my background, it was the call and response nature of relating. So in the Black narrative of worship, when the pastor is speaking, He may say or she may say, can I get an amen? And the congregants will respond with the amen and and call and response and flowing or gathering that rhythm with the pastor. And it's a very interactive experience. And what he said was, we need to have that across. We need more of that in this digital age, in this hybrid space for white churches who may not have the call and response nature. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's not true across every white church or even every black church doesn't have a call to respond. But mm-hmm. I love the fact that he tapped into the diversity of congregations that we probably need to take a little bit out of from everybody. But one element was the ideal of call and response. 
because yeah. then the people would say, the congregants would say, I'm with you, pastor. And then the pastor would say, I'm with you, congregants, right? Mm-hmm. And that type of unification around the word causes a higher level of interactiveness. Yeah, and I love that you highlighted that because not every congregation, but probably many congregations, at least have some element of interactivity, whether that be sharing prayer requests or you know the call and response element that you talked about or the passing of the peace, you know, greeting, all yes. that kind of thing. And it's finding unique and innovative ways to continue to do those things in both spaces. Absolutely. So that the people who are participating online feel like they're part of what's happening in person. And those who are there in person understand that there's a larger body out there. It's interesting that from the Christian tradition, the idea of the church invisible, meaning kind of the body of Christ as a whole, those that you can see and those that you can't see. And even the sense that under at least the idea of Christianity, we are all part of the same body. Mm -hmm. This almost mimics that in a sense or brings it down to a more understandable or manageable piece because you've got the people in the room, but you do have people who aren't in the room, but they are directly involved. And so creating that connection between the two, just for me anyway, there's a real beauty to that. Oh, absolutely. You could just, as you were talking, I just imagine a wonderful tapestry of people tapping in every joint supplies to the body. And in fact, one of the phrase that he used is giving voice to the congregation. So even though that man or woman of God is delivering a sermon or offering prayer and all the different things that takes place in a worship experience, it's also saying, I'm giving you a voice or you have a voice. Your voice is heard. Mm-hmm. I see you in your voice, mm. right? That's the connectivity that can happen online in person, beyond the walls of the congregation. Yeah, absolutely. And I was also struck by his conversation about people who are in maybe assisted living or elderly and it's wintertime and can't make it. And he talked about the connectivity that they feel even more connected now than they used to because there is the online element to it. Mm -hmm. And I know that some people from different, you know, theological backgrounds or liturgical backgrounds don't really like the online experience because it's not embodied. It's not, you know, as communal as it used to be, but just a good reminder that there are people who just can't make it for various reasons, whether they're on vacation, whether they're ill for a period of time, whether they just are at a point where they can't ever make it back in the building, but they may still want to be a part of that community. And so I know that there's conversation and talk sometimes about, you know, when can we turn this off? (laughs) And I would just (laughs) encourage congregations to think about, who might you be shutting out if you mm. do that? In a lot of my work, I've seen congregations working on accessibility for their spaces to be ADA compliant because maybe their congregation is aging, so they need ramps or they need an elevator installed. And those things are good and right to do. But I think this is an extension of that kind of opportunity and option mm. that, yes, you need to do those ADA compliant things. But beyond that, there's another way now to make people feel welcome and a part of the community. And so thinking about it as, you know, I think some people get exercised about, well, they just want to sit at home and drink coffee in their pajamas while they're watching service. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It may be true for some people. But by shutting off that avenue, you may be shutting out people who don't have an option, who don't have a choice. And just thinking about it in those terms, I think really reframes the conversation. Yeah, the fact that you're talking about a conversation, I remember his great response to 
What happens if there is a hostile situation where someone is mm. in disagreement or not in concert with what is being said? And one of the things that he talked about was to have a person online ready to respond at all times. And I thought that was really good. So to have a chat host and to provide a type of safety and hospitality when you're present online as congregants are listening, obviously you don't want to feed the trolling aspect that may Mm -hmm. be going on, but you also want to acknowledge, be present, but not dismissing, Mm -hmm. right? Because people are entitled to their opinion and things of this nature and know that there are others who are online as well. So it's the individualistic platform of it, as well as a collective, uh, you know, a concert of people who are a part of this experience and put a plan in place. I like that he said that because sometimes in things being very experiential, that you can kind of let things flow, which is cool. But also if you have a nice, flexible plan in place, it will help congregations understand the flow and the rhythm of that worship experience. Yeah, yeah, such an important point that having someone who's responsible for the conversation online and being a presence in there and in a role doing that, not just, you know, someone kind of ad hoc, but responsible for that. And, you know, that might be an interesting way of volunteerism that someone who would never be a greeter because they are shy and, you know, maybe don't like shaking hands or whatever, but they can sit behind their computer and be a kind presence to people you know, it might be really appealing to some people who have never stepped into any kind of role like that in a congregation before. Absolutely. Well, we'll turn our attention to resources now, and we will link to Jason's website in our show notes. And he's written a number of books over the years, as he corrected me in the interview. <laughs> he sure he did, did he? He's, he's <laughs> written a lot of books, but specifically some about hybrid congregational life. But we'll link to his website in the show notes. But we also wanted to bring a couple of other resources that we are aware of around hybrid worship or hybrid congregational practices. So, Mackenzie, what have you got? I have Imagining a Hybrid Future, and it's in thecrg.org on our website. And it is a media platform for this. And this podcast that one will listen to will talk about ministry in the post-pandemic area in this ideal of hybrid worship, evangelism, and discipleship thinking and starting small groups as a result of hybrid worship. And it goes into to dealing with the authenticity, right? It's one thing to do it, but it's another thing to really be sincere about it. And this is a little bit of my addition to this, Matt, is the fact that you can also have a little bit of fun, right? It doesn't always have to be totally, you know, very, very serious, but it is for those leaders who want to imagine what a great hybrid future would look like. And this is an audio listen, as I mentioned before, So I think that will be a really good resource. What about you, Matt? Yeah, so I've actually got a collection that we put on the CRG. As listeners know, we are never shy about talking about our own work. (laughs) So we had a a podcast episode with a guy I used to work for, actually, Mike Palmer, and it was called Best Practices for Hybrid Engagement. And I'm going to link to a four-part resource list to that. And this was more towards the beginning of the pandemic. And I knew that Mike was invested and involved in this space in education. So it's a little more education focused. However, for some of you, that might actually be really helpful because you might be thinking about how do we do discipleship and education online or virtually as well. And so there's some good things in there. There's a couple of articles and two other podcasts listed in that resource list. 
And just to remind you that all of this can be found on the CRG, T-H-E-C-R-G.org. There are over 2,000 resources, and these are resources that we as Center for Congregations Consultants have found over the last number of years that we think are really beneficial and really helpful for your congregation. So we encourage you to check that out. And you can type in for this specific topic, online or hybrid would bring up some of the topics that we're discussing. But of course, you can use any other kind of keywords, whether you're looking at youth ministry, architecture, web design, anything like that. You can find a whole host of information on the CRG. And again, these are independently identified by us. These are not paid advertisements. These are not people that we are in a relationship with. We have just found these independently over the years and have included them because we really think they're worthwhile in taking a look at. We would definitely like to give a special shout out to the Lilly Endowment for making this possible. We're reaching people all across the world and particularly impacting Indiana congregations in the United States as well. So thank you, Lilly Endowment, for your generous contributions to the cause. Now, Matt, this may sound like a little bit of self-satisfaction, and so I will take that. And that is, if you like us, rate us. <laughs> you can rate and review this podcast and give us a like. And the more we are liked, the better opportunities for more people to hear about our podcast here at the Center for Congregations. And whatever you listen to your podcast, make sure you give us a like. We would also love to hear from you. So you can email us at any time at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. We would love to hear your feedback or thoughts on our episodes. If you have resources of your own that you want to recommend to us that we can use to recommend to others, or if you have thoughts about topics or future guests for the podcast, we would love to hear that. So you can reach us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. All right. We also want to mention that this episode was edited by Jaden Lee. Jaden is our Aussie buddy and our geographical shout out, interestingly enough, is in his part of the world. So thank you to our listeners in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia. So thankful that you're listening to the podcast. So we will be back in two weeks with another episode. And we're so thankful that you joined us for this one. So have a great couple of weeks. And for the Center for Congregations, I am Matt Burke. And I am Mackenzie Scott Lewis. Thanks, everybody, for listening.